Hello, and welcome back to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector, and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, welcome. This podcast exists for a simple reason, to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. Each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have about a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that is it. No fluff, lots of actionable tips and strategies that they and you can put to use. A quick heads up before we get into this episode. In today's episode, I'm going to talk a lot about how to get and retain clients. And if that's something that interests you, you should also check out my skill sessions at joshspector.com sessions. In particular, there are two that will really help you get clients. The first is called the Client Generator, and that features a system you can use to attract your ideal clients. The second is called the Relationship Builder, and that will show you how to find and connect with 50 people who can speed up your business growth. They're both one-hour video presentations. They're both based on things I've done myself to grow my own business and get clients. And you can get them both at joshspector.com sessions. You can buy them individually or become a member to get both of them and a whole bunch of other sessions that I've done. You can also even check out some free excerpts on that page. So with that in mind, now let's get on with the show. Today, my guest is Marcus Manderson. Marcus, also known as DeFingas, is a music composer and producer who has worked on music for companies such as Disney, National Geographic, Smithsonian, MTV, and Fox. He's a former church musician who works in AVIT by day and works as a music composer and producer by night. You can find him on social media, mainly Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, at DeFingas where he shares his latest music, discusses sync licensing, which is about how to get music into movies and TV, movie trailer music, and networking. You'll also see him as like the ultimate top commenter on every one of my YouTube videos. I don't know, this guy is quick on the draw. Not only does he comment on my YouTube videos, he tends to comment like immediately, which is awesome. So with that in mind, hey Marcus, welcome to the show. It's great to meet you outside of the YouTube comments. Thanks for doing this. Thank you too, Josh. Yeah, nice to finally put, I always had the face of the name, but nice to finally see you in person and live. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. Like you forget there's actual people on the other end of this internet thing and it's it's nice to to be connected. So let's jump into it. I'm excited to talk to you today. What is the first thing that you want to know? Yeah, so let's start with, I would like to launch a networking course and would like to get some advice from your perspective on the best way to launch, it doesn't have to specifically be a networking course, but the best way to launch a new course. People say, start with webinars and, and build your course off of the live webinars. Some people say, build a course and then market the course. Some people say, market the course and build the course. So what is your perspective on trying to launch just the course in general? So let's start here. Why are you thinking of doing this? What's the goal? Like what, what's leading you? Cause obviously you have a job making music. You have, that's your, your core thing. What's making you want to launch a networking course? So I actually started doing webinars around holidays last year. Mm -hmm. I started getting a lot of traction and people attending those and then took a break because I was focusing more on the music, but bridging the networking because with music, you have to network to get your music out yeah. of these places to these TVs and, and movies and things like that. So people were gravitating and they were asking questions about how do I apply this networking methodology to my sort of area of not music. And I started taking those questions and, and building things around that and just trying to figure out a way to launch it and to build it out. I have ideas in my mind, but trying to structure it 
in a more like structured, but it's, it's from, I've just been networking, going out to these live right. events, attending events and there, there's things that you learn, something as simple as making sure that your name tag is on your right side, because when you shake someone's hand, that's where the name tag is. So there are so many little things like that. I just pick up and have learned over the years that I can package into this thing and try to figure out the best way to put that together. Okay. And the idea ultimately is you're, I assume you're doing it as a moneymaker, an additional revenue stream. Is it just, yeah. Okay. And are you envisioning a course that is sort of on demand? Like you'll create it, you'll record it, and then people can just buy it. Are you doing, are you thinking more of a cohort thing that you're working with people for X amount of weeks or how do you see it playing out or you're not sure? Not sure, but probably more on demand mm -hmm. just because the, the focus would be on like the creative side. Okay. So maybe on demand with occasionally, maybe a once a month type pay check-in Zoom thing, but more on demand. Okay. And do you have a connection to an audience? Like how hard are you going to, when you make this thing, are you going to have a decent size amount of whatever that means for you, but like amount of people that you're going to be able to easily reach to buy it? Or are you going to have to go find people? So audience numbers, I think are respectable, but how many would be interested in this mm -hmm. content? I have about seven, 8,000 mm -hmm. Instagram. I have a Facebook group that's more focused on sales, mm -hmm. about approaching a thousand and then the email list, which is a couple, like the four or 500. Have you asked them? Mm -hmm. And aside from anecdotally, a couple of people going, oh, I'd love to learn this. To what degree have you looked into, does my audience actually want this enough that they're going to pay for it? So that would, that would be the best part of place to start. Yeah. I would absolutely start there. And I would do a combination of broader questioning, whether that's a survey, whether that's on Instagram, like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Would you guys want it? And then I would also drill down with some people individually and have those sort of one-on-one -on -one conversations, right? And see what they say. A key here also is you're not just gauging their interest in it, but you're also researching what do they want out of it? So it's one thing to say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this networking course. It'll teach you how to do A, B, and C. Does that sound interesting to you? And they say, oh, yeah, I'd be interested in that. But you also want to ask them, what else would you want to learn as a part of it? And they might go, oh, I'd also like to learn D, E, and F. And now you're creating something that's going to speak to exactly what they want, not just a vague general interest. I'm assuming that right now you're thinking of it as a general networking course, not, okay. So I would strongly consider whether you're better off doing that or making it networking for the music industry, for the sync industry, for whatever, narrowing it down. And the reason I say that is, number one, a large portion of your existing audience, I'm guessing, is in that world anyway. So the people you're going to reach, it's more of a perfect fit for them. So you're thinking like, well, other, there's other people that could still benefit from this and it's applicable everywhere. And that's true. But the broader you go, the less unique it becomes, the less of a reason there is for, there's lots of like general networking courses out there. So let's even take, you know, example in the intro, I mentioned my relationship builder skill session, which is sort of about networking a little bit. So if someone's out there, let's say, let's say your audience, most of whom work in music in some capacity, and they can buy Marcus's general networking course or they can be buy my relationship builder course. Those things are sort of the same. But if Marcus's course is networking for the sync industry, it's a complete no-brainer. It's a no-brainer purchase for them because it's so specific. And what you want to do is you want to create products that are perfect for somebody, not okay for everyone. Also, the other thing it's going to do is because that is the world that you live in, 
the people that you want to attract most likely live in that world. So when you get beyond your audience and you get people that, you know, maybe there's word of mouth or they heard about it or they saw it or whatever, it's much more valuable to you to have someone who works in the music industry buy your networking course than it is to have someone who works in agriculture buy your networking course. Yeah. Setting aside the money. There's that ancillary value of attracting the audience that beyond just that individual purchase, all customers and buyers are not created equal. There's a lot of advantages that I see. Number one, I think it's gonna be easier to sell. It's gonna be more differentiated. It's gonna be more unique. It's gonna position you as not just a networking expert, which is fine, but that's not really what you want. You wanna be positioned as an expert within this field. It's gonna create possibly other opportunities for you, for example, to speak at a conference. If you're the guy with the music industry networking course and you wanna speak at some music industry conference, much better chance than I'm a guy with a general networking course. All of those things I think work in your favor. Again, you don't have to do that. You could do a general networking course, but I think you'd be much better served to tie it to your niche. Also, the chances are when you get more specific, the course is probably going to be much better and it's probably going to be much easier for you to create because now you're dealing in very specific things, things that you have done. You don't have to worry about, well, maybe this isn't relevant to those other people. Like those other people don't matter. So now you know exactly what you're talking about and exactly how to do it. And you're also going to have more credibility because you're in that field with that audience. So that's something that I would definitely focus on. So again, first step, talk to your audience, see what they want. And I bet you, by the way, if you asked a few people in your audience, you want a general networking course or you want networking for the music industry, it's going to be like a no brainer. And ideally, this is true with any course or any product. When you get specific and when you narrow down the sort of niche of the product, you can get to a place where like it's an absolute no brainer for those people to buy. If you're working in the music industry, sync industry, whatever, and there's a course specifically about networking in that industry, how do you justify not buying? Like, honestly, it's much easier to justify not buying a general networking course. So it's going to help you on all those fronts. The next thing is once you, I'll shift a little into sort of selling it. So once you make the course and you've had these conversations with people and you've talked about it and they know it's coming, you've built some, some sort of excitement for it. I think in general, the best way to sell a course is to give away excerpts of the course itself. That doesn't mean that it has to be a webinar. It can be, but your goal is you've created this thing. You have all this material from the course. You want to make it as easy as possible for people to consume some of that because all the, the most brilliant sales page in the world and they're like, let me tell you what you get. And this is amazing. And this is amazing. And this is amazing. If I show people a five minute clip, a two minute clip that has something super valuable, that's going to sell better than anything else. Here's two minutes of this course and you watched it and you just got something that is literally going to change your life or your approach. You're way more likely to buy. And so you can even create it with that in mind, knowing that, okay, there's going to be a couple things here that I'm going to pull that I'm going to use promotionally. The other thing is I think a lot of times when you're going to do that, you want to make it as easy as possible for people to sample it. So I think a lot of times people will do these webinars and they think that's what they're doing, right? I'm going to hold a webinar. I'm going to show people all this stuff and I'm going to show excerpts, but you're requiring people to give you an email to sign up for the webinar. 
In some cases, you're requiring them to attend live at a specific time. In other cases, it's an hour-long webinar that includes 10 minutes of valuable stuff and 50 minutes of like pitching and whatever, right? That is not helping you. So there's nothing wrong with doing a webinar. I'm not saying not to do a webinar, but I also think you want to go at it and you go, okay, I have these assets. I want to make it as easy as possible for people to see them. When I put out my skill sessions, I put out three free excerpts of all of them. They're YouTube videos. I share them in my newsletter. Most of them are like two minutes or less. Like they're very, I literally go through and go, what can I find that's the most actionable quick win thing? I don't go, oh, that's awesome. I better hide that for the paid product. I'm like, I want them to look at that and go, that was amazing. What else is in there? That's a piece of the promotion. The other thing is when you launch, and I think this is big too, do a full focused, concentrated promotion plan for like a week. Let's say you have launch week. Sometimes you'll see people do promotion leading into the launch. So if it launches on Sunday, they start the week before and they're like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I'm not a huge fan of that because I think as opposed to, you can do some of that countdown stuff, but I'd much rather have, I'm promoting a thing that people can get right then. When people see that post, I want them to be able to go, this looks awesome, I'm going to buy it. I don't want them to go, this looks awesome, I hope I remember a week from now to go back and to go back and buy (laughs) it. The other thing I would recommend in general, again, something I do with my skill sessions, to create some urgency to buy that that sort of week-long launch week promotion, I like doing a a discounted or an introductory rate. So when I launch a new skill session, my skill sessions are $50 each. They're $25 for the first week. And I'm creating that urgency to buy now. And what you'll see, and this is true for me and it's true for anyone that does any of that, price increases drive sales. So people will buy that first week as opposed to going, oh yeah, that's interesting. I'll get it sometime. They'll buy before the price increase and the vast majority of those sales are going to come in the last 24 hours because everybody's lazy and and whatever, right? So I do think doing something with pricing in that sort of tied to that week-long promotion will add that level of urgency, will help get it going. The other thing I would say is ideally get some testimonials before you even officially launch it. So social proof is incredibly powerful. So one thing you could do that would be interesting in the beginning of your outreach, you could go, hey, I'm thinking of making this course and I'd like to invite whatever you want to call them, a beta group, my board of directors for this course, whatever. So you gather up whatever it is, five, 10 people, and you say, I want to get your feedback from this. I want to interview you in advance, blah, blah, blah. You'll get it for free or you'll get a discount. You'll be the first ones to see it. So that when you launch, you can already have some testimonials. A lot of people launch cold and then they try to get testimonials later, but you don't need that many, but it's really powerful. And also people like to feel like they're on the inside. So people will like the idea of, oh, I'm helping Marcus develop this thing. And it'll be really helpful for you to have people that you can get feedback from and and that kind of thing. My advice there would also be choose people that are your ideal audience for this thing. Don't just be like, oh, my friend who has nothing to do with music is, is volunteered yeah. to, give me fe- <laughs> to give me feedback. Choose the people you really want. But I'll leave you with this. So four, four things that I do with my skill sessions that work really well that I think you can incorporate to help launch and sell your course. So the first one is I let my skill session members vote on the topics. I have three potential topics for each session. I send them to my members and they vote on which one they want. 
And what this does is it ensures that I'm making something people want. I don't leave it open-ended and I'll make whatever you want because it's got to be something that I have expertise in, but I'm allowing them to influence it, right? I'm talking to my audience and saying, what do you most want to learn? So that helps ensure that you're creating something that people are going to want. The second one is I ask them what they want to know about that topic. So when people vote for the topic, I also have a question in there that says, are there any specific questions or things you'd want to know about this topic? That's really helpful because I get a list of questions. So when I set out to create my skill session, uh, I did one recently that was called the newsletter social playbook. And there were a bunch of people who were like, I want to know how to use LinkedIn to promote my newsletter. And so I made a point to specifically include LinkedIn stuff, which I don't know that I would have done otherwise, because a lot of that advice is universal, but I could see, oh, people really want to know this specific thing. My course should include that. So let people give you feedback on the topic. Let them tell you what specifically they want to know about that topic or want to learn. The third thing is I keep it really simple. I think a lot of courses are way overproduced and overcomplicated. In my case, literally, they're a Zoom. I record a Zoom presentation in real time, usually less than an hour. So you'll see people that are doing courses that they're like doing full on production and editing and all of that stuff. And that's fine, but most of it is totally unnecessary. So I spend some time creating a presentation deck. I invite my members to come join me on Zoom. I present it to them, I record it, and I'm done. So the entire time it takes me to produce a session, which is basically a course, is the one hour presentation and whatever it took me to put the presentation together. So I'm a big believer in keeping it simple. And then the last one, I talked about testimonials and social proof. The members that attend the live recording are able to give me testimonials before I've actually launched it for sale. So that's how, just like I said, you could use a beta group. That's how that beta group could be people you invite to the presentation if you record it live. That's how I'm able to get testimonials pre-launch which I think is really, really helpful because it's powerful and it's helpful to be able to launch with those. All that makes sense. Have I, have I, conv have I convinced you to not do a general networking course and not over? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, def definitely. And those, those four things, and I'm taking notes as you're yeah. chatting, and of course, I'm going to have to rewatch this because we can end the episode right now. <laughs> Just the first question. There you um, go. No, that's re really helpful. Cool. All right, let's get to your next question. What's the next thing you want to know? So the next thing, shifting from the digital product side to more like services, mm -hmm. um, I'm a music creator. So as a music creator or just a general creator, what would you suggest as a creator or creative entrepreneur trying to get more opportunities to monetize their creativity? As you mentioned, I have worked with a lot of companies, but creating music for corporations, ads, independent films, commercials and things. How would you go about getting more of those opportunities? I am sharing probably oversharing a lot of music that I'm working mm -hmm. on, on social media, and that leads to some opportunities, but any other thoughts? So let's start here. Where are your opportunities currently coming? There's no one place. I've gotten independent films from posting music on SoundCloud or mm -hmm. streaming platforms, social media, people might DM because they saw a post, but mostly all these different forms. So it's mostly social media. Okay. Uh, social media. But so basically you're putting your music out there and whoever happens to come across it and likes it, Sometimes someone sees it and is like, I want to buy this or hire you or whatever. Yes. Okay. So the first thing is you want to try to, and it's not easy and it's going to take some trial and error, but you want to try to come up with a strategic approach that's attracting new people in so that you're not reliant on just like, I make stuff, I put it out there and hopefully someone finds it. 
And so the way, one of the ways you can approach that is you can create a series of hypotheses that you're like, okay, well, I have a theory that if I do X, Y, and Z, that's a way to actively attract people. And then you go try that. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And then you try something else and you try whatever. But the key is you want to be actively looking for something where you can be influencing and attracting people as opposed to just hoping they stumble across your stuff. So that's one thing you definitely want to be working on. And I think lots of people in all different niches do this. They're like, I don't understand. Like I'm posting on social media like I'm supposed to every day. And why am I not getting clients? And why am I not, not even in the music industry? And it's like, you want to try to be more deliberate and strategic about it. The other thing I think, and this is true for everyone, not just music, I think you really need to identify the value of what you sell. And I don't just mean the financial value, but to understand that, yes, you're selling music, but what is the actual value? The music serves a purpose for the people that are buying. Yes, they're paying for the music, but they're not paying for the music. They're paying for the solution to a problem. And starting to think about and understanding that what you actually sell and what you actually deliver to people is a solution to a problem and thinking about what are those problems and what are those solutions as opposed to the sort of level below that, which is just, I make music and people buy my music because that thinking about that will then change and shifts how you position a lot of things. So how do you go about identifying the value of what you sell? I think one thing that you want to do, again, and this is with music or anything else, this is very universal, you need to understand the alternatives that your potential buyers have. And you need to understand a clear reason why they should choose you as opposed to other available options. And what people tend to default to is, again, not just with music, with everything, my stuff's better, my music's better, my writing's better, my emails are better, whatever it is, right? You know, it's not that. You want to think about what are the alternatives they have if they don't buy from you or they don't hire you. So in your case, so for example, why can't they just buy from some random music library? Why can't they just buy from some other guy on SoundCloud? Are they paying for the music or are they paying for the customization? Again, there's lots of songs where they can just go, I'm going to go grab this song. I don't know, but these are all just hypotheticals to think about. Are they paying for you? Is there something in your story, in your approach, in your whatever, that they want to hire you as opposed to the other person? Maybe there's a professionalism. Maybe there's an experience. Maybe there's a whatever. We love working with Marcus because of X, Y, and Z. And lots of people have good music that will work in their film or in their commercial. No matter how great your stuff is, you're never going to be the only one whose music works. So if a buyer is looking at multiple options that work, what are the things that are going to make them go to this person or the other? And a lot of times people go, oh, money, this one's cheaper, but that could be a thing. <laughs> that can be a thing, but there's a million other things, right? Like you see it all the time in all sorts of fields where it's two people are equally good at a job and one of them's an asshole. The asshole is going to stop getting work. But my guess is most people don't think about that, right? You're probably thinking about, I'm selling music and I got to make the music good. But what they're buying is not just the music. They're buying all sorts of other stuff. Another thing is, depending again on the situation, but are they paying because they want to say they have original music or they want something custom? There's a story that the filmmaker, the whoever is telling themselves and maybe telling other people, an ad agency, their bosses or whatever, to be able to go, hey, we have someone who's making a custom soundtrack for this is different than we found something on SoundCloud. Now, for some people, they're not going to care. 
different people have different stories that they want to tell. And I think that's important to understand as well. There are some people that want to be able to go tell their boss, look, I found a song that works fine and the guy's going to give it to us for free because he's desperate or it's going to be super cheap. That's a story they want to tell. There's other people that want to tell the story of, I found this super talented guy and he's going to create something custom for us based on our specific needs. Different stories. And understanding that that is part of what you're selling just as much as the music itself. And finding and identifying those people. For some people, they're like, I want the guy that wants to just save money. You can build a good business on them. You can also build a good business on the guys that are like, I don't want to just buy off SoundCloud. I want our stuff to be unique. So understanding and thinking about that. The other thing is thinking about, and, and Seth Godin talks about this a lot, but this is in line with what I was just saying, like thinking about what is the story that they're telling themselves. And by the way, this can play out in a million different ways. There's probably people, we talked before we started that you live in Northern Virginia. There's probably people that are like, I love the idea of hiring a Virginia music. I'm a Virginia filmmaker and I want to work with a Virginia music guy and whatever. But like understanding what are the different stories people are telling themselves or want to tell themselves and those reasons that would, there would be a reason for them to hire me as opposed to someone else. Maybe there's someone that's, you know what? I don't want the 19-year-old on SoundCloud who's messing around. Like, I want the pro. So there's different things in, in understanding that. The other thing I would say is, and this is a good way, again, a universal way to think about stuff. But if you think about your ideal audience and you go, okay, and let's just say, just you may have multiple, maybe ad agencies and commercial directors and indie filmmakers. But I'm just going to take indie filmmakers for a second. And if you said to yourself like, okay, I want my, my ideal would be every indie filmmaker knows I exist. They at least know about my music. What could I create that will attract them? And this is where I get into being strategic as opposed to just, I'm putting my music out and hoping they find it. What can I create that will attract every indie filmmaker to at least be aware of my existence? And when you start to think about this, most likely that creation is not going to be something about you. It's going to be about them and their interests. And I'll give you a couple examples of what I mean. If you launched a podcast where you interviewed indie filmmakers about how they approach securing and incorporating music into their films, would that interest other indie filmmakers? Would other indie filmmakers listen to that? Probably. Certainly ones that are interested in music and figuring out like ways to do it. That's an example of creating something that is not about you. It's about them. And by attracting them, they're going to get introduced to you, which is going to make them aware of you, which is going to help you with everything else. Maybe you feature your music in the podcast, maybe. So it's not about you. It's about them. But that's like a Trojan horse to get them to become aware of you. Another example, maybe you start a newsletter that features recommended music for indie filmmakers, maybe even of a specific genre. Not just your own music, although you can occasionally do that. It's not the Marcus newsletter. It's the like amazing action movie track or amazing indie comedy tracks. If I'm an indie comedy filmmaker and there's a newsletter where once every couple of weeks, someone's curating great music that would work. Again, not just self-promotional, although it can be. They're going to subscribe to that. You're going to attract them to you. And again, that Trojan horse idea where it's, it's not about you, but they wind up being introduced to you. Another, another example is, could you be a music creator, composer, and a music supervisor, for example? Could you combine two services and provide a two-for-one solution? 
I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But again, when you're thinking about sort of differentiation points, you're, the whole thing is thinking about what reasons can I come up with for them to pick me and my music as opposed to all these other people who are also making good music. And if they go, oh, we can hire this guy and he's going to give us music, but he's also going to find us music. So I don't got to go get a music supervisor. I'm making this up. That's a reason. So I think all of those are things that you can consider to help yourself stand out. Another idea, right? Like again, and some of these can be ongoing. Some of these can be one-offs. There's there are different levels of effort and whatever. But for example, could you host a monthly networking dinner for filmmakers or ad agencies, commercial producers, whatever? Something where you're like, again, it's not about you, although you're going to be there. But could you in, let's say in your local area, in the Northern Virginia community, could you go once a month? I'm going to host, let's say month one is an indie filmmaker networking dinner. You could pick up the tab, but you don't even have to necessarily. And you're like, I'm going to have 10 people in this community come together. They get to meet each other. It's probably a no brainer because they'd like to do that. And what you've done is you've put yourself in the middle of that community. And maybe one month it's indie filmmakers and one month it's ad agency people and one month it's commercial people and one month it's music supervisors and one month it's whatever. But now you want a very grassroots level. And this is what I mean about being strategic. On the one hand, it feels, okay, well, what's doing a dinner with 10 people? What's that going to do? But we're talking about relationships and networking. You do that for six months and you've had dinner with 60 of these people. And one of those people becomes a client who like, it doesn't take much for it to be well worth the, the time investment. And going back to what I was saying before, that's an example of being strategic. So yeah, you're putting your music out and hoping people see it, but you're also doing this other thing that is very deliberately trying to create relationships and opportunities. So I think it's, those are examples of stuff you could do, but that's the way you want to do it. And the through line with all of those is it's not about you. It's not self-promotional. It's about connecting them to each other. If you haven't read the book Tribes by Seth Godin, I highly recommend it. Like the whole premise of the book is basically that we don't draw people to us, we connect them to each other. And by doing so, put ourselves in the middle of that community. So a lot of this is very influenced by that concept. Those are a bunch of recommendations, I think, of things you could be doing to, to try to get more clients. Any questions about any of that? No, that's very helpful. And it's, it's basically what I do when I see someone mm -hmm. tell me like their problems. I'm like, oh, I happen to know someone else. So I'm all yep. about connecting people and making connections. So it's, it's yeah, really formalize it. Because it's funny you say that, right? Because it's very similar to what you're doing with the music. You're like, oh, I do it when it happens to come across my way. And what I'm saying is go from being reactive to go from being like, no, I'm going to deliberately do this. This is really good and effective. And I'm going to bring people together and I'm going to become known in this world of whatever it is. And by the way, it can also be, it can be in person, but it could also be global, right? You could go, I'm going to have a monthly Zoom and I'm going to invite 10 people. It doesn't have to be limited to your local area, although it certainly can be and in-person stuff is different than Zoom and all of that, but cool. So let's get to your third question. The third question sort of ties along with the, the last discussion where you're going on the unique selling point, like what makes me different approaching like music opportunities. And the biggest opportunity I've had so far was to create music. And maybe I'm the first on the podcast to create music for Disney. Um, mm -hmm. in particular, a Disneyland attraction. So I composed awesome. for an attraction at Disneyland, which was a great incredible opportunity. And my big goal last year was to land a Disney trailer. I didn't land a trailer, but I wasn't upset when the opportunity came. Yeah. And that came from posting music in a group and 
the music that I created was like neoclassical trailer music. Mm-hmm. And they thought that style of music would work well with the attraction uh, that they were updating called Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. And of course, having this conversation with them, I was having those thoughts of why me. They were mm-hmm. telling me why me. They were like, the music you made would work for this. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, why not? They can literally hire Hans Zimmer or right. John Williams or Ludwig Ranson. So aside from, I'm not going to charge anywhere near with any charge. All those questions are going through my head. It, but, you know, I did it and it, it, it came through. So once opportunities like that come, I know that, and I always knew in my mind, I had the potential to work with companies like that on whatever projects. I was focused on one type of project. Another one came down in their good gracious, so to speak. Mm-hmm. How do you go about keeping those existing? So the last question was more about getting new clients. But how do you go about keeping those existing? I do keep in touch, like, mm-hmm. but I don't let it be keep saying, hey, what's what's the next thing? Yeah. What's the next thing? You know, we know they're always working, but, or going to other companies like, hey, Universal or whatever. I did this thing over here. And to some extent, using LinkedIn to make those connections, share mm-hmm. those projects. But any other thoughts from your end of how you go about keeping that momentum in building those relationships from existing yeah, like key clients and projects? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it's something I haven't talked about before. And I think it's something that people don't think about enough. Like they're always focused on like, how do I get the new client? How do I make the new sale? Whatever. And it's like, they overlook the potential of what happens once you have one and how do you maximize that and, and turn it into more. I think at its core, it's a question of how do I turn a gig into a relationship, into an ongoing thing? And it's different in every scenario, but I have, I do think there's a few sort of universal ideas and, and strategies that you can use here. One, I think is, and there's both while you're doing the gig and then there's after the gig. So I'm going to share ideas for both. So one is even while you're doing the gig, can you plant a seed? Can you, while you're there, while you're working with them day to day, is there an additional pitch, an additional idea, an additional something that you can throw out there? And it doesn't have to be formal, but it can be, hey, I noticed while we're doing this, you guys are also doing this other thing. I've got this that might be helpful. Because once you're in there, you're able to get a lot of information. Like once you're on the inside, you're able to see things that you didn't see on the outside. Or you go, hey, I noticed that the way you guys approach giving notes or editing or whatever it is, you're doing it this way. But I worked at this other company that did it that way. And maybe there's an opportunity, you know, whatever. Looking for ways to just very subtly plant those seeds of, hey, maybe there's more that we could do here. As opposed to waiting till the end and then going, so what's next? What's next? Like start, start as it's, as it's happening. The other thing is while you're working for or with people, actually look to identify holes and opportunities. What are they missing? What maybe have they not thought about? Maybe they hired you to do music for A, B, and C, but you're like, what about D? Are you guys also going to need a trailer thing? Are you going to need, you're going to have social clips to promote this thing. Get any background music for that? Like there, there might be things that they haven't thought of, but again, you want to actively be looking and going, because it's one thing, the opportunities that exist that they know they have to fill, but it's another is that maybe you can create an opportunity. This is a, this is a sort of different thing, but I remember when I went to work for the Academy of Motion Pictures and I interviewed for the job and originally it was basically to oversee social media. It was like a social media manager job. And literally in the interview, I was like, you guys need a whole department. I literally in the interview was like, I think you should build out a whole department and I should run it. And that's what happened. They were not looking to build out a department and hire me to run it. They were looking for me to just be a social media manager working in the marketing department. 
But me seeing it and being able to make a case for this completely changed. And that was a full-time job. That's a whole, that's a whole other thing, but completely changed the whole and expanded the whole opportunity. The other thing is, I think when you, again, depending what your work is, can you frame your work with them in a way that there's a logical next step? So you hired me to do X. This is the logical next step. And this has to do with how you package your work and your services anyway, right? So for example, I don't know exactly how it all works with you, but like you in your own mind might have this idea that when people hire me to do X, I always know that they're gonna, there's gonna be some sort of social post promotion. And so I'm gonna pitch them hey, do you want to expand this to additional custom music for social? Most of them might not go for it, but some of them might. Or whatever those things are where you're like, I know when someone buys X from me, there's always this other thing that I can offer to expand or, or add onto it, a sort of logical next step. So for example, for me, with my consulting, I do these clarity calls, which people can check out at joshspector.com slash consulting. A logical next step to a clarity call is I have a service above that, which is a custom strategic plan. The custom strategic plan always starts with the clarity call. So what happens is people buy a clarity call and it's very logic at the end of it. In most cases, I'm like, you probably don't need that. But if you need this next step, this is the logical next step. So I think that can be helpful to think about in general, what types of stuff people typically buy from you. So if you take a step back and go, when people buy this, this is the logical next step or upsell or whatever you want to call it so that you don't even have to think about it. You know where you're, there's, there's something logical for them to expand to. And some people will probably take you up on that. And that leads to another way of thinking about your, your product and service offers. I like the idea of thinking about your service offers vertically as opposed to horizontally. So what I mean by that is a lot of times you'll see people who offer services where it's like a menu. I do A, B, C, and D. What do you want? But if you stack them vertically, now there's a logical next step. You bought A and B. The logical next step is C versus a menu where it's, oh, just pick which one you want and these others have nothing to do with any. So thinking about packaging your stuff in that way, and again, it might be a little tricky with music. It won't fit for everything. But there are definitely ways that you can think about that. And by the way, like it, it could fit with music, right? You could go, okay, if you, as opposed to thinking like, okay, you buy a song and horizontally, I have all these other songs that you could buy. You go, oh, you buy a song, but there's also a vertical, right? I have this, the short version or the, the amped up version or the, the whatever, right? So it's like they can expand the social versions, the, the whatever it is. The other thing is when you're working with them or after working with them, always be thinking, and it doesn't have to be blatant, although it certainly can be. It's interesting because it's not just about getting more work from an existing client. That client can also introduce you to other clients. So thinking about, I just made these relationships with these people. We're having a good experience. They're happy with the work. Who could they introduce me to? Who could they connect me to? And it doesn't have to, you don't have to frame it as, hey, who do you know that might want to hire me? It could be like, hey, who should I know in this space? Like, I'm always looking to like network and help people. Let's say you're talking to somebody at Disney and you're like, who do you think are the smartest? By the way, even if they don't introduce you, here you go. Here's something you could do. You could ask that person, who do you think are the smartest music supervisors? And they go, oh, so-and-so over at Warner Brothers is a genius. Well, now, even if you're going to reach out cold, 
you can reach out to the Warner Brothers guy and go, hey, I was working for Disney. And this guy said, you're a genius and like the smartest music supervisor in town. If you ever have time for a coffee or whatever, I'd love to meet you just to, just to whatever. So thinking about how can you leverage that relationship into introductions, especially if it's going well and you're connecting with those people, right? Who else, who else should I know? Not from a just who's going to buy from me, although that'd be great. But, you know, who should I, who should I connect with? Who should I know? So once your engagement with them ends, the next thing, the key is to have a reason to reach out to them on a regular basis beyond just pitching them. Because it's the typical, it's awkward, even if it's, hey, just checking back in. You got any more work? Like nobody really, nobody really wants to do that. So here are five ways that you can turn a one-off gig into a relationship and ways that you can develop ongoing communication with them without just calling in and begging for work, basically, right? The first one is you can share an interesting article or resource or get them on your newsletter list. Even if you don't get them on your newsletter list, you come across something and you go, hey, I remember when we were talking about how AI is going to impact the composing business. And I just came across this article, thought you might want to see it. That's a check-in that's providing value, restarting and reigniting and staying on their radar without just going, hey, you looking to hire anybody? Provide value. And it's really easy. It's really easy to find stuff that's interesting and valuable and people will appreciate it. And you do that over time of every few weeks, every couple of months, you're sending them something valuable. They are just seeing you as valuable. Oh, it's so cool that Marcus sends me this stuff. So you're staying top of mind and in a good way in there. You're not annoying them, basically. The second one is you can reach out to them and compliment them on the success of something you did together or something your work was involved in. So you said you worked on like the Abraham Lincoln thing. When that launches, you can reach out and be like, hey, I went to see it. My kid loved it. It was amazing. It, congratulations. Or you work on some movie and it's, oh, I saw you guys got an amazing review for the movie. Congratulations. That was so cool. That kind of thing, right? Nobody, nobody doesn't like a compliment, but do it genuine, right? Don't ruin it by saying, doing that. And at the end going, so you looking to hire anybody like that? Don't do that. Then the third one is if you have a newsletter, a podcast, a blog, whatever, you can interview them. Everybody likes to be, especially people who aren't typically interviewed. The idea that like someone thinks they're an expert and wants to feature them. It's just a way to continue the relationship. Hey, it was great working with you. I do this podcast. I do this blog, whatever. You got time for a 10 minute call. I'd love to feature you. Like I thought it was so interesting when you talked about whatever. Easy ways to keep that connection going and turn it into a relationship without being obnoxious. The next one, connect them to someone else that would be valuable for them to know. So this is the reverse of, hey, who do you know that maybe I should know? You can go to them and be like, hey, you know, I did some work for these people at Warner Brothers. You should know this guy. Or I came across this ad agency. Like, if you're interested, I'd be happy to connect you guys or all three of us could go to lunch or, or whatever. Everybody wants a bigger network, but it's challenging to do it. They're nervous. They don't want to ask. They're lazy. They're busy. They're whatever. So being able to be that connector, in most cases, people will really appreciate. And then the last one, give them some behind the scenes info that they'll care about. Again, the more you're in the industry, the more you're in this sort of community, you're going to discover things that they don't. The guy that works at Disney has no idea how Warner Brothers operates. So if you reach out and you're able to go, hey, I worked, did something for Warner Brothers or a friend of mine did something for Warner Brothers. And I thought it was really interesting the way they approach their pipeline or the way they handle this or whatever. 
I'd love to tell, thought you'd be interested in whether you put it in the email or whether you meet with them or whatever, that kind of stuff, like people will eat that up and it doesn't have to be just their competitors, but it could be like what vendors are doing or whatever, any kind of inside information about their industry. Cause that guy can't get that. So as much as it might seem like the guy at Disney has an advantage you don't have in terms of whatever status or within the industry, but there's advantages to being on the outside because there's lots of stuff that they don't see. And I think that information is really valuable and powerful. And again, you're becoming a source for this person, which is really interesting. And, and you're just developing a relationship. They're associating you with value. They're associating you with trust. All of these things, when it comes down to we can hire Marcus or we can hire this other guy. Both songs are good. Now you have that advantage. And, and the, the crazy thing about clients and most stuff is it doesn't need to work that many times. Like one or two people can be career changing. So any questions about any of that? No, I think a lot of it is re what is the word? affirmation of things I've been doing. For example, we did go see mm-hmm. the attraction. April, I have my wife yeah. and kids. And of course, we recorded the video, then the video. Mm-hmm. Like 15 minute video yeah. walking into the park and going to the attraction. They were like, Thanks for sharing this. So mm-hmm. just doing more of that, the check ins, even if it's not, even like it was just holiday, happy Independence Day. Happy yeah. Um, yeah. And, and being, being, I think being deliberate about it, being conscious that when you are going to reach out to them, you're always trying to provide them value of some sort in some way. You're not just, hey, checking in. You want to train them that an email from Marcus is worth opening because there's going to be something good in it. And then, and again, being strategic and deliberate, there's, we'll put a link in the show notes if I can find it. There's a, an article that I had shared and I forget the exact name of it, but it was like the, it was like the 150 networking plan or something like that. We'll include this in the show notes. Hopefully this link is still up. It's called 525150, the secret of the best networker I've ever seen. And so what he would do is he made a list of the five people he thinks are most critical in accomplishing his goals and would contact those five people multiple times per week. The next 25 people he'd contact once per week. And then the next 150 he'd contact once per month. And that was it. And contact them again, like we're talking about in the context of value and in the context of relationship and whatever. But and it doesn't have to be those specific numbers, but that's an example of, and I think it's a theme of, of what this whole episode and conversation has become, of being really deliberate and strategic and proactive about how you try to make stuff happen to get more clients. Yeah, thank you. That, that was very helpful. This was basically like a masterclass. Awesome. I like it. That's what I like to hear. So in the meantime, tell people where they can, besides my YouTube comments, tell people where they can find you and and check out your stuff. Yeah, of course, on all the uh, YouTube comments. Thefingers.com is the website that is D-A-F-I-N-G-A-Z. And in social media, I'm the fingers on all those forms. D-A-F-I-N-G-A-Z, that's where I'm sharing music that I'm working on, products I'm working on, products that are landing and things like that. So thefingers.com and thefingers social media platforms I'll be involved. Awesome. For me, again, my newsletter, fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. My skill sessions, joshspector.com slash sessions. I'm on Twitter all the time at jspector. If you would like to come on the show and ask me three questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions to submit them. And that's about it. Thanks everyone for your interest. Thanks, Marcus. It was great to meet you. I will see everybody next week.